0: You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. This message comes from our 2014 Desperation Conference, Jesus Reigns. For more information, visit us at desperationonline.com. Desperation, it's great to be back. I was thinking this may be my outside of Jesus culture conferences. This may be my favorite event to come to. I absolutely love coming here. I'm so encouraged by your worship already. We're going to have a great time tonight. I really believe that this week is going to be a significant moment for your life. God's going to touch you in a unique way. Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy the worship team tonight? Those are our guys right there. I love those guys. That's my family. That's my family. Listen, I'm going to jump right in. Are you ready? I got some stuff in my heart. I want to go after God tonight in some areas. So get out your Bibles, iPads, iPhones, whatever you got. Second Kings chapter nine. I just want to say, really, it is an honor to be here, how grateful I am to be able to come and join you as you go after God. I want to say publicly, I absolutely love David Perkins, absolutely, just 100% feel so connected and just so encouraged by him. And I'm so grateful for Dan and Brandon and the leadership that they're bringing Really to a generation across America. I'm praying. You know what I'm praying? I'm praying the desperation conferences would not be unique. But that there would be hundreds of them across the nation. I'm praying that gatherings like this would be happening in cities all across America. We need hundreds upon hundreds of these gatherings in the nation. So I'm just grateful for the leadership you guys are providing. And really inspiring a generation to go after God. Man, we got all, you guys are all the way over here. We're get, we got a whole 180 tonight. So you guys got your Bibles? Do you have your Bibles? All right. We just moved to Sacramento, California just about 12 months ago. Do I have anybody in here just from California? We have Californians, yes. Anybody from Northern California? Those are my peeps over there. Come on, man. Nice. Somebody said Missouri? That's not California. I'm just saying. That's nowhere near California. It's not everybody's going to say. All right, everybody tell me where you're from. One, two, three. Nice. Second Kings chapter 9, are you there? I'm going to read this story to you, and then I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6. Let me set this up. Elijah... When he uh, was, was alive in the earth, uh, um, was a prophet for Israel, and his kind of main nemesis was this lady named Jezebel, who had uh, married the king of Israel named Ahab, and was kind of through that, was really in charge of Israel. And uh, while Jezebel was alive, it was a very dark time in the history of Israel. We're going to pick up the story where Elijah has gone to heaven. And before the Lord takes him to heaven, he anoints a successor named Elisha to be prophet in his place in Israel. And he goes and anoints a commander in the army named Jehu to be king over Israel. So Elijah is gone. King Ahab is dead. But Jezebel is still in charge of the land in Israel. And there is a king of Israel, a king of Judah, both of them not good kings. Elisha has started like a school of the prophets kind of thing. And Jehu, who Elijah had anointed to be king of Israel, is is in a city called Ramoth-Gilead. you got to hang with me on this. i got to set this up for you, all right? Jezebel lives in Jezreel. Jehu is in Ramoth Gilead. Elisha is running the school of the prophets. Are you with me? And it is a very dark time in the nation of Israel. It's very bleak. Jezebel's still in control. They're killing the prophets, their sexual immorality, idolatry, violence. It's a very dark hour in the history of Israel. It is discouraging and it feels hopeless. All right? This is where we're at. In that situation, Elisha calls one of the sons of the prophets to him, and this is what he says. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. We're going to reference both of those. Rise up from among his associates in the inner room. then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee, and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, the inner room. And he poured oil on his head. And said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord of Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets. And it goes through and it says that you will wipe out the house of Ahab and Jezebel will be killed. And then it says this at the very end. And he opened the door and fled. The story goes on where Jehu comes out of this encounter with the prophet He gathers with some of his friends, and they ride to Jezreel. On the way to Jezreel, the king of Judah comes out to to meet them. He kills the king of Judah. They chase down the king of Israel, kill him. They go into Jezreel, and these eunuchs throw down Jezebel, and she dies. In one day, the Lord changes the story in Israel... from from unrighteousness and darkness ruling to once again establishing the righteous rule of God in that land. And one day, the whole thing turned. Matthew 6, 6 says this. This is Jesus speaking. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. I'm going to read it again. I need you to get this. But you, when you pray... Go into the inner room, and when you have shut your door to pray, when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. I believe that looking at the story of Israel, we find parallel truths happening in their day and in our day. You live in a nation right now where, in many ways, it feels hopeless, in many ways, it's easy to get discouraged. As you look at the landscape of America, it's easy to feel that darkness is reigning. It's easy to see the unrighteousness that's in our land. I believe that in many ways we parallel that time in Israel. But God was about to change the game in Israel. God had a plan and a story that was unfolding in the nation of Israel. God was about to move in a significant way in Israel. He was about to show up and change the game in that nation. He was about to show up and in one day change the atmosphere over an entire nation. This is what I believe God intends to do in America. The reason why you are here is not just that we can get together, have a good time, hear some worship music, get away for a few days. We are here to be marked by God because he intends to do something significant in this nation. This is why we're here. And I believe, I believe the game's about to change in America. I believe he's about to shift the atmosphere in America. I believe God's about to pour out His Spirit, and I, I believe He is on the move in America. But here's what I know. That before the strategy of God for the nation of Israel, when God intended to move in Israel, the first thing He did was call out a man. The first thing He did was separate unto Himself a man. Anytime God intends to move in a nation, anytime he intends to move in a city, anytime he intends to move on a campus, his first step is to begin to call people out. His first step is to begin to separate people unto himself. I'm going to, there is one one of my favorite authors, one of the most, you know, the preeminent author on prayer, one of them is a man named Ian Bounds. And Ian Bounds write this, and this is important to understand. Ian Bounds write this. He's writing at the time of, uh, uh, you you know, he's going to say, he's writing to ministers and he's going to use the word men. You can put men and women in there, all right? This is what he says. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods. Again, he wrote this in the early 1900s. But men, listen... What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. Men are God's methods. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Now listen, this is important to understand because I'm going to jump into this tonight with you. I believe that God intends to pour out his spirit in this nation. I believe hope is alive and well in America. I believe God intends to move in an incredible way. I believe he intends to shift the atmosphere in our generation. But what I know he is doing right now is he is calling out individuals to anoint them. I love church buildings. I love, they have a purpose. Programs and methods have purposes. But God does not anoint buildings. He does not anoint methods. He does not anoint structures. He anoints people. God does not use programs. He uses people. He comes on people. When God wants to awaken your generation, he does not anoint a method and he does not anoint a program. He does not build better structures. He anoints individuals. This is what he does. And I am here tonight to tell you this. God is going to awaken your generation. I am convinced of this. I believe in this with all of my heart. He intends to awaken your generation. And you know who he's going to use to do it? You. Elisha pulls the son of the prophet. And he knew what's going to happen. God's about to move in the nation. God's about to shift everything. God's about to change the game. We must go tell Jehu what God's going to do. But Elisha made it very clear. When you arrive at Ramoth Gilead, you must require Jehu to rise up from among his associates and separate himself to an inner room. The requirement for Jehu to receive what God intended to release was that he rose up and separated himself to the inner room. Matthew 6, 6 says that when you pray, go to the inner room. I believe that right now God is calling a generation to the inner room. I believe that right now God is calling a generation to separate themselves to the inner room of prayer, to give themselves fully to the call of God in the inner room of prayer. I believe that right now God's heart is stirred. It is burning to see a generation awaken to his love and power. And I believe the first step is to call individuals to give themselves to the inner room of prayer. I am here for one simple reason. To call you to the inner room of prayer. I believe God wants to awaken a generation. And I believe it is dependent on you separating yourself. I mentioned this last year when I was here. But I I am convinced. There's this thing somehow where. I remember when I grew up. When I grew up preachers would talk about when they felt the call from God. That I felt called at this age or I felt called this age. And and the context was they received a calling to kind of preach and do what they're doing. The older I get, the more I realize that the call is not the issue. Everybody in this room is called by God. Let me me just, just lay this out for you. Everybody in this room has a call on your life. All of you are called to lead. All of you are called to change the world. All of you. What separates you is not your call. I remember that I had, when I was, again, we mentioned this last year, but I remember that there was a verse, Jesus says this phrase twice. He says, Many are called, but few are chosen. I remember in my 20s, I'd get before the Lord on my knees, I'd say, God, I don't understand this verse. Like, I just want to be used by you to change the world. I want to be chosen. I don't understand why many are called, but few are chosen. And why is it that you call a lot, but only choose a few? And I don't, how do you get out of the called category into the chosen category? Like, I don't want to be just called. I want to be chosen. And the verse just stressed me out. And then I read it in the context one day, Matthew. And the context was a king that invites, a king invites people to the son to the wedding of his son he sends out invitations the first group they all dismiss it they have excuses they they ignore it they don't want to come he sends out invitations to a second group they don't come he sends invitations to a third group finally they come he ends this story by saying many are called but few are chosen i wanted to know from god why are many called but few are chosen i'll give you an illustration One of the things I hate in life, hate with a burning desire, a passionate hate, is moving, physically moving houses. I hate moving. I moved a year ago from Reading to Sacramento. I hate it. I hated it. Hated every minute of it. I hate the thought of moving. I hate preparing to move. I hate packing up boxes. I hate going and getting the U-Haul. I hate loading boxes and furniture that doesn't fit through doors in the middle of the summer. I hate unpacking. I hate unloading. I hate the whole thing. There's not one thing I like about moving. But what I hate more than moving is I hate Helping other people move. I have a greater hatred for helping other people move. I hate it. And people come and they're all like, hey, can you come help me move in the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees outside? You're going to have to come move furniture that doesn't fit through doors and you're going to hurt your knees and your hands. And then I'm going to give you a couple slices of pizza as a thank you. I hate it. And you're not fooling anybody when you do a Facebook invite and call it a moving party. Just because you call it a moving party doesn't mean I like. I still hate it. You want to come to my moving party? No, I hate it, and I hate you for asking me. No. But we all know this. The, like in America, and as you get older, you're really beginning to understand this. In America, the true test of friendship is whether or not you'll show up and help somebody move. It's the true test. I'm just telling you, if you want to know who your friends are, tell them you're moving on Saturday. Whoever comes, your friends. Everybody else, they were lying. They're not your friends. They're not your friends. They were faking it. So if you can imagine this, David calls and comes up to a group of guys and says, hey, guys, I'm moving on Saturday. Can anybody help me move? And immediately all of us are like, oh, my gosh, don't make eye contact with David. No, that's just I can't think of anything worse than that. No, I've got to have an excuse. There's something I'm doing on Saturday. And then there's a guy that raises his hand in the group and says, David, I'll help you move on Saturday. And David says, well, then I choose you. Listen, this is how it works in the kingdom. The issue is not your call. Every single one of you are called to change the world. Every single one of you are called to lead in your generation. The issue is not the call. You know what the issue is? The response to the call. The response to the call. See, in the kingdom, it works that Jesus shows up in a place like this and he says, Who will separate themselves to the inner room? Who will be a leader in your generation? Who will give themselves fully to prayer to see an awakening happen in their day? And immediately everybody's like, Oh my gosh, don't make eye contact with Jesus. You know, like, I gotta, like, that's a lot, that sounds like a lot of work. And like, it's, I don't even know about prayer. And like, what is he asking of me? And, and then there's a handful of people that raise their hand. And say, Jesus, I'll be a leader in my generation. I'll give myself to the inner room of prayer. I'll separate myself unto you. And Jesus says, then I choose you. The reason why many are called but few are chosen is because there's only a few that raise their hand. You want to be in the raise your hand category. God has an anointing for your life. He has a message for your life. He wants to anoint you to see an awakening in your generation. But you know what's first required? That you separate yourself to the inner room of prayer. That when Jesus comes and he calls you, that you stand up, you raise your hand, and you separate yourself to the inner room of prayer. I don't care how old you are. God is calling you to separate yourself to the secret place. One of the things that I realize sometimes in these environments is that we get very excited but not strategic so we come into an environment like this where you love the worship team and your favorite preacher ever is preaching and uh uh, at least your favorite white preacher and um (laughs) and 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 you're all excited and you just start yelling revival and God use me and I want to change the world and awaken my generation. And we get excited but not strategic. Our goal this week is not just to get you excited, it's to get you strategic. We're not going to see revival in a generation just because we're excited. And I want you to be excited. I'm one of the most excited guys in the world. My son is eight years old. He's gonna be nine soon. And my son is by far the most competitive person I've ever met. He's the most competitive person I've ever met. There is, in my son's eyes, there is a winner and there is a loser for everything. Everything. And and I have to tell him to tone it down all the time. Like he will, we will, we do that like this, we'll get around the dinner table at night and we hear from the kids on how their day was. And so we'll try to do fun things in that. And so one of the things we do is we have like a little stopwatch and we're like, all right, tell me your day in a minute. And then they gotta tell their day in a minute and then we ask them some questions. So my son thinks it's a race. And so we go to him and and we're like, tell me your day. And he like flies through it in 35 seconds. And we're like, and he's like 35 seconds, yes. And I'm like, son, it's not a race. He's like, okay, and then his sister goes and she takes a minute like she's supposed to and then he's like, boom, 35 seconds, I beat you. I'm like, son, stop it, we're just telling our day. He will, at school, he gets decent grades, but his teachers, when we go to like a parent-teacher conference, they're like, hey, your kid's a good kid, he's great, he does all his work, but whenever he takes a test, he's constantly trying to be the first one done. And we're not really sure he's even getting the answers right. And I, I picked him up from school this year. I said, hey, you had a math class. How'd it go today? How, you had a math test. How'd it go? He goes, great. I was the first one done. <laughs> I was like, Lake, I mean, did you, actually, uh, did you actually get the answers right? He's like, I don't know. I was the first one done. And like part of me is kind of proud of that, you know? I'm like, I, I'm like all right, dude, knuckles. <laughs> if you're not going to get it right, be done First. That's the, that's the leaps your motto. We may not be right, but we're first. So my, when he was six, like two years ago, I had found Yahtzee. You guys ever played Yahtzee? Did Yahtzee make it out to Colorado? So I find Yahtzee this and I'm like, I'm going to teach my kids Yahtzee. I'm going to teach my kids Yahtzee. So at the dinner table, we'd sit around the dinner table. I said, all right, kids, here's Yahtzee. Here's how you do it. You put the dice in there and you put it in this cup. And, and, then, and then there's all these things you got to start filling in. So I tell them this, right? And there's a whole strategy to Yahtzee. You know, you can't just, you got to fill it in and you got to play it right. But my, fo- my son found out that Yahtzee is the biggest thing you can go for. So we'd go to him and he'd be like, I'm like, all right, son, what are you rolling? He's like, Yahtzee. I'm like, well, son, you just can't yell Yahtzee all the time, right? And I'm trying to like, I'm like, son, there's like all these things you're trying to fill in, and you want to get them, and you don't want to waste them, and and I kind of try to mentor him, and he would look at me, he like, uh-huh, he'd be uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, all right, so what do you want to roll? He's like Yahtzee. He yelled Yahtzee every single turn. Never won a game. Never won a game. Yelled Yahtzee every turn. And I'm like, son, you've already yelled Yahtzee. He goes, Yahtzee, Yahtzee. That's all he needed to do, Yahtzee. This is what I feel like in our generation. That we come into these gatherings sometimes and we yell revival. We yell awakening in my generation. We yell God use me. We get very excited but not strategic. We're not going to change the world by just yelling revival. We can't just come in and be excited and yell revival. We have to be strategic. You know the most strategic thing you can do with your life? Separate yourself to the inner room. The most strategic thing you can do for your generation, the most strategic thing you can do for your city and your nation is to respond to the call of God and separate yourself to the inner room of prayer. That when God begins to stir your heart, that you respond and separate. It's not enough that you yell revival. You have to strategically take your life and plant it in the secret place of prayer. Because there are things that you will receive that you can get nowhere else. Listen, I love corporate gatherings. We do these all over the nation. We just got done one in Minneapolis. We'll go to L.A. next week. We'll go to Atlanta two weeks after that. I love corporate gatherings. I believe there are certain things and certain breakthroughs that come in corporate gatherings. But the reality is, is that there are certain things that are only found in the secret place of prayer. You can find them nowhere else. God required Jehu to separate to an inner room because in the inner room he would receive what he could receive nowhere else. There is a bat, like an animal bat, like a flying animal bat. Not like a baseball bat, a bat. It is called the Seychelles sheath-tailed bat. It is a very rare endangered bat the Seychelles sheath-tailed bat. It is found on one island in a string of islands called the Seychelles Islands, on an island called Silhouette Island in the Indian Ocean. It's the only place you can find it. Silhouette Island in a string of islands in the Indian Ocean. If for some reason you had a passion to go see the Seychelles sheath-tailed bat, for whatever reason, you've got a burning desire to go see this bat. You can go look all over the world if you want. You can look across Europe, you won't find it. You can look across the continent of Africa, you won't find it. You can go all across South and Central America, you won't find it. You can go into Canada, you can go all across America, you won't find it. As hard and as much as you want to, you'll never find it. You want to know why? It's found in one location. If you want to see this bat, there's one location you go to. There's, it's found nowhere else. Listen, there are certain things found in the secret place of prayer that you will find nowhere else. You can go to every desperation conference you want to for the rest of your life. You won't find it. It's not found in a corporate setting. It's found in the secret place of prayer. It's found separated to God in prayer. The strategic part of your life is that I separate to God, and in the inner room of prayer, I find things, and I receive things that I can find nowhere else. Here's what they are. Jay, who found them? Are you ready? I'm a point preacher. I'm going to give you some points. The first one is this. You find God. There is an anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I believe there's an anointing for revival, and I believe there's an anointing for cities that is found in the secret place. Listen, your generation needs an encounter with God. The anointing to release that encounter with God is found in the inner room of prayer. Jehu separated himself to the inner room of prayer. And in the inner room of prayer, he, he, he encountered oil. Oil was poured out. The Holy Spirit. God was in the inner room. This is one of those things that's very interesting because Matthew 6.6 6 should really blow us away. Jesus says, when you pray, and he just kind of goes from the basis that you're going to pray. When you pray, go to the inner room because God's there. I tell people all the time, it's not hard to find God. He's in the inner room. One of the most concrete promises in all of Scripture is this. It's found throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. One of the most concrete promises is, if you'll seek the Lord with all of your heart, you'll find Him. If you'll seek God with all of your heart, you'll find Him. It's it's one of the main promises in Scripture. It's one of that main staple things that he continually tells us. If you'll seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. If you'll seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. One of the things I've realized about God is he loves to be found. I have, uh, as a dad, I find playing certain games as a dad is a different experience than when I played them as a kid. So I have a 15-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And when I was a kid, when we played hide-and-go-seek the goal of hide-and-go-seek was to never be found, ever. Like you'd be in seventh grade, and you'd play hide-and-go-seek, and we had, like this, uh, we had like this field, and they were building these houses, and we'd go play at night. And your goal was never to be found. Like they, they'd go one, two, three, and you'd go find some hole, you'd put camouflage on, paint your face, dig a hole, put like bushes over you, and you'd lay there for like three hours. Because your goal, the goal was to never be found. You wanted your friends to go home so depressed, so discouraged, so utterly dejected, so utterly hopeless that they never tried to search for you again. You were that good at hiding. That was success. Success was your friends having a mental breakdown, they're so depressed. And they feel so hopeless. That was the goal as a kid to never be found. As a dad, it's a completely different game. It's a completely different game. Can you imagine if my goal as a dad was the same I had as a kid? My kids come to me, they're like, Dad, can we, you know, you want to play hide and go seek? I'm like, All right, kids, but I'm pretty good. (laughs) You sure you want to do this? They're like, Yes. I'm like, All right. I'm just telling you, man, you sure? And they go count, one, two, three, and then I go find some hole somewhere, camouflage, paint my face, put bu- you know, bushes over me, and my kids look for three or four hours, can't find me. Just look everywhere. They go home to mom, just depressed, discouraged, <laughs> hopeless. Mom, we can't find dad! I'm telling you, kids, he's pretty good. You'll never find them. It's like a ghost, gone, he's gone, vanished. No, you know, as a dad, the best part of hide and go seek is being found. It's the best part. That's the part I love the most. It's the whole point of the game for me. So my kids, my kids actually think I am horrible at hide and go seek because of this. They're like, dad, you want to play hide and go seek? I'm like, sure, kids. And they're like, one, two, three. And then I go find like a couch, and I get behind it, and I do this. And my kids are like, one, two, three, ready or not, here we come. His leg is sticking out from behind the couch. (laughs) Dad sucks at this game. Because the best part is when they come and find me and jump on me. That's the best part of the game. Do you know why God calls you to the inner room? Because he loves to be found. He loves to be found. When the Lord stirs your heart to seek Him, it's because He intends to be found by you. This is the whole purpose. And so, as simple as it seems, He's calling you to the inner room of prayer because what you find in the inner room of prayer is God. And an anointing. I remember when I first, Lou Engle had come through, I was 23 years old, 1999. A very marking, defining moment in my life. I had become kind of alive and awake to the concept of revival. Lou came through and he began to preach about being, first time I'd ever heard him preach about being intercessors for revival. Would you give yourself an intercession for revival? And I was in the front row as a 23-year-old young man. And I felt like I was about to explode. As he spoke, I felt like I was about to explode inside. And at the end He he said, if you want to be an intercessor for revival, come forward. And I rushed the altar with hundreds of other people, and I laid on the steps before the Lord, and the Lord gripped my heart. like He he got a hold of me in this thing of giving ourselves to prayer. And I started a journey of separating myself to the secret place. And I would get up early in the morning. I'd get up at 5 a.m. and I'd go. We had, at at the church that I was at, there was like a prayer room. It was open, uh, you know, 24-7. And it was just kind of like a personal prayer room. And I'd get there at 5 a.m. And, and, and there was like, there's kind of like double doors outside. You'd walk in, there's a hallway, and then you'd open the doors to like this prayer room. And I remember, I remember being in my early 20s, and I'd open the doors early in the morning. I'd walk down the hallway, and I would open the second set of doors. I would walk into the room, and the minute I would walk into the room, I would, I would begin to weep. Because I would encounter the presence of God. Now I know the presence of God is with me. I know the presence of God is all around us. But all I knew is this. Is that I knew as I walked into that room, God was waiting for me there. You know why he calls you to the secret place of prayer? Because he's waiting for you in the secret place of prayer. And he wants to release an anointing on your life that's only found in the secret place of prayer. We go to the secret place of prayer because God is there. We go to the secret place of prayer because there is an anointing that is found in his presence. There is an oil that gets on your life that is found nowhere else. You want to see a generation awakened? Stick yourself in the secret place of prayer. And you will find an anointing. And you will find in the presence of God an authority that will be released on your life. The second thing you'll find in that secret place is the Lord begins to reveal to you His story. This is very important to understand. is that Jehu separates to the inner room of prayer and while he's in the inner room of prayer, he receives an anointing on his life. The, The very presence of God comes on him. The Holy Spirit comes on his life. But then the Lord begins to speak to him and the Lord begins to tell him the story that's happening in Israel. God has a story right now for America. God has a story for your city. He has a story for your life. He has a story for your campus. And it's in the secret place of prayer that he begins to reveal to you that story. He shows up to Jehu. He says, Jehu, listen. I know that what you see right now feels hopeless. I know that it feels discouraging. I know that right now Jezebel's in control, but I'm about to change all of that. I'm about to change the game. I'm about to shift things in the nation. I'm going to dethrone Jezebel. I'm going to take out the king of Israel. I'm going to take out the king of Judah, and I'm going to establish righteousness in your land. He begins to reveal to him the story of God. One of the things that saddens my heart is a generation that doesn't know there's a story of God happening in the earth. Not just in America, not just in your city, all over the world. There's a story of God unfolding, and we're unaware of it. We walk around confused. I don't know if you've ever read a book or watched a movie and been confused at the storyline, lost. I remember I went to Australia a few years ago with Derek, one of our worship leaders. We were jet-lagged. We got in about four, got to our hotel about five, jet lagged, and I knew we've got to stay up till nine o'clock. If I don't stay up till nine o'clock, it's gonna screw up this whole trip. So I look at Derek, I said, Derek, we gotta stay up, man. We gotta stay up. I want to go to sleep. We want I gotta stay up. So we turn on the t- I said, let's watch some television. So we turn on the television and uh, and we're just kind of flipping through some channels, and we come across a Harry Potter movie. Now I've never watched Harry Potter, not even out of like conviction, I just have never really been interested. And uh, so I, I don't know much about Harry Potter, except there's like a kid with glasses. I don't know, something like that. And so, so I'm like, hey, have you seen Harry Potter? He's like, no. I'm like, let's watch Harry Potter. A lot of people talk about this. So we started watching Harry Potter. And what I was unaware of is that there's eight movies. And they're all like one story. I didn't know this. There's like one storyline. And we started our Harry Potter journey on movie eight. So I'm like, all right, let's do this thing, you know? So I'm like, stay up, Derek. And we get on and we turn on the movie eight, you know, number eight, and we're watching this. And I am so lost. Like I am, they talk for like five minutes and I'm not sure I understood one reference they made the entire time. Not one name, not one, I don't even know what they were talking about. I was completely lost. And we're watching this movie and I'm so confused. And I'm like, Derek, why does that guy not have a nose? Did like, Did he lose it? Or like, was that like movie four? What's going on? I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. I lasted 10 minutes watching this movie. I was so utterly lost in the story, just completely confused. This is what saddens my heart sometimes when I, when I run into believers, they have no idea that there's a story of God unfolding. They have no idea that God's doing something, that he's about to do something in their day, in their city. They have no idea. Because you find that story in the secret room, in the secret place, in the inner room. God comes to you and he begins to speak to you. He begins to tell you a story, what he's about to do. There's a story of God. That you find in the inner room. He begins to tell you what he's going to do in your generation. He begins to tell you what he's going to do in the nations of the earth. He begins to speak to you a story that is found in the inner room. This is why it's very hard to be depressed when you're in the secret place. It's very hard to be discouraged when you're in the secret place. Because it doesn't matter what you see with your eyes. I know the story that he told me. I'm going to out myself by telling you this, this story, but when I was in junior high, I was way into WWE. And uh, um, first of all, don't laugh at that, okay? All right? And my dad and I would watch it all the time. And I, I even went to three of them live. And I got to be honest with you, it was like the best thing I've ever been to. It was just, there is nothing better than fake wrestling live. Just, I mean, it's just incredible, you know? But if you've ever watched these things, and I, I mean, my, like uh, back in the day for me, it was like Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, you know, Demolition, Bushwhack Brothers, you know, Ted DiBiase, Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, this was the crew. So we'd go and watch these guys, right? And if you watch WWE, which is pretty much just a male soap opera, if you watch it, there's, there's always a storyline, right? And whenever they get into the match, it's this thing of like, uh, you got your favorite guy. And they're wrestling back and forth. I can't even believe I'm telling you that I know this. But they're wrestling back and forth. And then your guy looks like he's doing good, the good guy. And there's a guy you hate, like you just hate him. And your guy who you love, he's doing good. And then all of a sudden, it starts turning. He's not doing good. And all of a sudden, he starts getting beat up. And all of a sudden, it looks really bad. And he gets knocked down, and it looks like he's out cold. He's just laying there. And then the guy you hate is just like before he pins him. There's always like the celebration up on the ropes, doing the you know it's my you know the whole thing, you know. And you just angry at the guy, but 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 what I know is this: oh, this isn't over. It's not over because I've seen this a lot. And and what and, and if somebody's with me that's never seen this, they're getting discouraged. They're like, oh, no, our guy went down. I'm like, oh, no, 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 our guy didn't go down. Just watch. And every time, this same storyline every time, right? you seen this? Every time, it looks hopeless. The guy's in the ground. Our, the other guy's celebrating. And then all of a sudden, our guy starts twitching. And you're like, watch this. Oh, yeah. Oh, he didn't know it. Oh, watch this. It's about to go down. Watch this. Watch this. Oh, yeah. And he starts twitching. And then he'll slowly, like, get up on one knee. And the whole building starts just like, it's just electricity. It's all about to explode. And the guy gets up on a knee and then he kind of stands up and the other guy turns. And this is what happens. You know, I'm embarrassed. I'm even telling you this. But, and then the whole place goes crazy and your guy goes and wins. This is what happens every time. Right? It's very hard to be discouraged when you know the storyline. This is the whole thing. You get into the secret place of prayer and you walk onto your campus and you look around at your generation and you feel hopeless and you feel discouraged. What you don't know is there's a story of God unfolding on your campus. He's about to move in a significant way. He's about to awaken hearts and you don't know that. I want to tell you, man, I, I, I was on an interview this week. A national magazine called me and they were asking me, about they've interviewed people and they can't quite figure out how to keep youth and young adults around and They feel pretty hopeless on this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I am, uh, dude I'm, I'm anything but hopeless. You wanna know why? Because I'm going to Colorado in a few days. I'm gonna get with thousands of young people. And you know what I see in a generation? Stirring beginning to happen. Movement beginning to happen. They may look at it and say, our guy's down. People that don't know the story are depressed right now. People that don't know the story feel hopeless. And I'm like, no, I'm going around the nation right now. And I'm seeing a generation that's stirring. I'm seeing a generation that's getting back up on a knee just because they got knocked down. You don't even know. That's only half the story. This isn't how it ends. This isn't how it ends in a generation. It's very hard to be depressed. It's very hard to lose hope when you're in the secret place because he starts telling you a story. This is what happened to me in my 20s. God began to speak to me what he was going to do in a generation. He began to speak to me what he was going to do in America. It doesn't matter what I see with my eyes. I don't pray what I see with my eyes. I pray what he told me in the secret place. My prayer life Comes from what he told me in the secret place, not from what I watch on the news. This is what you find in the secret place. But here's the other thing. Not only do you find the story of God unfolding, you find your place in that story. God reveals to you not just that he intends to do something in your generation, but that you have a part in that story. He comes to Jehu. He says, Jehu, I'm going to wipe out the house of Ahab. I'm going to dethrone Jezebel. Today, this will happen. And he says, and this is what you're going to do. And he begins to speak to Jehu and tell him his part in the story. There is a clarity that comes on your life in the secret place. There is a clarity that comes on your life in the inner room. We have a generation that's walking around confused right now. If I said, what's your part in the story? You should be able to answer it to me. And if not, you should go get into the secret place until you find it. John the Baptist, who was shaped in the the desert. It said that he was formed in the desert, in the inner room, in the secret place with with God. He comes out of the desert, and when people ask him, who are you? There was no confusion. When they said, John, who are you? He didn't be like, I don't know. I don't know. Not sure, really. I don't know. Are you this? I don't know. I might be. Are you this? I don't know. They said, John the Baptist, who are you? He said, with clarity and conviction, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. I know who I am, and I know what my mandate is, and I know my part in the story. John the Baptist had a clarity on him. He had a conviction on his life because of what he'd encountered in the secret place in the desert. I'm wanting you to start a journey. You may already be on that journey. I want to put fire in you to keep going. But I want to start you on a journey, the same journey that I started when Lou came and called us to be intercessors for revival. I want to start you on a journey where you separate yourself to the secret place. It's not just that you get a story. It's not just that you encounter your part in the story, but you get possessed by a word. This is, what, this is what I'm praying for for you tonight. As you begin to separate yourself, as you begin to separate yourself to the secret place, what begins to happen is, as God begins to speak to you. And as he speaks to you, a word begins to get inside of you. I could give you scriptures, but John 15, 7 talks about abiding in him and and his words abiding in you. You get with God and he begins to speak to you. This is what happened to me. He began to speak to me. And I began to get a word from him that changed my prayer life. I became possessed by a word. And the way that you access faith in the kingdom... Is, is you allow his words to abide in you. It's when I draw close to Jesus in intimacy and he speaks his words to me that I enter a realm called faith. And I am possessed in my prayer life by a word. Much of our prayer life is this kind of half-hearted prayer. It's kind of like we kind of know we're supposed to pray, so we do, but we don't fully believe it, and it's just kind of half hearted. I call it a rascal prayer. I'll, I'll tell you why I call it a rascal prayer. My family moved to Sacramento 12 months ago, 13 months ago. And when we moved, we moved with two dogs and a cat. Two dogs and a cat. Now, I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but I didn't grow up with animals. Like our home was ordered, structured, and clean, and so animals didn 't have a part in it, but then I married my wife, and literally a zoo has gone through our house the last sixteen years. It, it is dogs and cats and birds and hamsters and frogs and fish it 's insane so and not only do we have pets in my house, but my wife and my kids treat them like their family like like and it 's weird for me a little bit because i 'm like. The dogs aren't siblings, right? And, and they're like, no, they totally are siblings. This is my brother. And my wife's like, this is my son. I'm like, not really. Really? Really? It's kind of weird. It's freaking me out. And uh, so, so, like, so in our home, my wife and kids love the dogs. And then they kind of like the cat. Love the dogs, kind of like the cat. And the cat sits on the couch all day long, and that's all the cat does. So we move. So we move. We go. Now, I know that when you move, you have a cat inside for three weeks because the cat has to pick up the scent of the house and know that this is home. So if it goes out, it knows where to come back. So we start this process, and we we move down to Sacramento with a couple that's from South Africa. And she comes to me and says, hey, you know, one of the things that we do in South Africa uh, for cats when we move is, is we put butter all over their paws. And I was like, excuse me? They're like, we put butter all over their paws. I'm like, okay. And they're like, yeah, they, they don't like it. They lick it off and they pick up the sin of the house quicker. And I'm like, well, thank you for that, that suggestion. And I don't want to offend all of South Africa, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that's the dumbest thing. I am not putting butter on my cat. Thank you. So I keep this cat, Rascal. It's an all-black cat, Rascal. I keep him in our house. Three weeks. After three weeks, I start letting him out. He goes out, he suns, he comes back in. A couple of days, this happens. I go to work one morning, he gets out. I come home that night, he's gone. My wife's like, Banning, have you seen Rascal? I said, no, I haven't. Next day, Rascal's gone. Banning, have you seen Rascal? No, I haven't. My kids are like, Dad, where's Rascal? I'm like, I don't know, guys. And they're like, aww. We want Rascal to come home. Next day, he's still not there. So I'm like, you know, I'm a pastor. So I'm like, kids, come around. We're going to pray. Kids, I'm a pastor. Gather around. And this was my prayer. Lord, bring Rascal home. That was it. Now, kids, go your way. And, uh, you know, I threw up a Lord, bring Rascal home prayer. didn't really mean it, kind of half-hearted, but I threw it up. And then we start looking for Rascal. I drive all the streets, we're calling the shelter, we're looking everywhere, you know? And Rascal's not coming home. And every day, the kids are like, Where's Rascal? I'm like, I don't know, kids, but we prayed he'll come home. And, uh, um, and then, if you've ever lost a cat, has anybody lost a cat in here? Okay, when you lose a cat, the craziest cat came home stories people tell you, they're insane. I mean, people are like, I moved to Denver from New York, and, uh, and we forgot our cat. And then like six months later, our cat showed up on the back of a semi at our door. It was crazy. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. So I'm coming home. I'm like, kids, cats, come home. So we're eight days in to Rascal being gone. I pull up from work one day, and Rascal is sitting in our neighbor's driveway. I run over. I get him. Rascal, you're home. I run inside. Kids, Rascal's home. He came home. It was one of those like, Jesus answered your prayers. And they're all like, yay. And they all run in and they're holding Rascal. And then all of a sudden the dogs come up and Rascal starts hissing at the dogs. And my wife turns to me and said, how do we know this is Rascal? I'm like, what do you mean? How do we know this is Rascal? It's an all black cat that was sitting near our house. (laughs) She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I'm sure it's Rascal. It's an all black cat. I mean, not that I necessarily studied Rascal, but that's Rascal. She's like, okay. They stick Rascal down. He takes off and bolts in the bathroom and is like hiding in a corner shaking. I'm like, he's just hungry kids. Get him some food and water. My wife's like, are you sure this is Rascal? I'm like, yes but I will go check with our neighbors. So I'd met, I hadn't met, I'd met all of our neighbors except for these neighbors. So I walk out, and as I walk out, the guy drives up. I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm Banning, just moved in next door a few weeks ago, and we talked for like two minutes. And I just said, uh, hey, you don't happen to have a cat, do you? He goes, yeah, yeah, I, I got a, I, we have an all-black cat. <laughs> really? I may have come over to your house, grabbed your cat off your driveway, took him into our house, told my kids that it's really their cat that ran away eight days ago, and they may be inside right now with your cat thinking it's our cat. Maybe. (laughs) The guy looks at me, he's like, Leah? Leah, you named your cat after... Star Wars? Yeah, she's inside. It's a she? So I go in. I'm like, hey, kids. Just kidding. This isn't rascal. God didn't answer your prayers. It's our neighbor's cat. They're like, what? No. I'm like, I know. And so I look over and my wife's holding the cat with this weird look on her face. So I'm like, sorry, sweetie. It's a can so I take the cat. And I'm like, sorry about that. He's like, he's kind of freaked out. He's like, all right, thanks. You know, and, and he grabs the cat and the cat starts kind of crawling on him and he walks off. My wife comes out in the garage. She's like, Benny, come here, come here. I'm like, what? She goes, I just smothered butter all over that cat. <laughs> What? I look over like, you know, that Lando lakes, like easy spread butter with a knife is out. I'm like, what? She goes, I just, I just smothered that cat in butter. I'm like, it's been eight minutes. It's been eight minutes. She goes, I know. I thought it'd be really important to get butter on him fast. So he doesn't run off again. I just handed that cat back to that guy. With butter. She goes, I know I didn't want to say anything. I thought he'd think we're weird. I'm like, sweetie, that ship sailed, baby. This is gone. We literally never saw those neighbors again, and they moved like six months later. I don't know what happened. My kids, I told my kids... They're convinced that a loving family has rascal. I'm like, no, coyotes. (laughs) I told my kids. My kids, there's a field next to us and kind of had a gimpy leg. He got ran down and eaten by coyotes. They're like, no, a loving family got him. Maybe a family of coyotes. (laughs) Here's, listen, here's what happens. You know why you're supposed to go in the secret place? Cuz the Lord speaks to you in the secret place. And you know what happens when he speaks to you? You get possessed by a word. Your prayers change. I I am I'm on this mission right now to get people to stop praying rascal prayers. These half-hearted kind of out of obligation, because I guess it's the Christian thing to do, we throw up a bring rascal prayer home. Bring rascal home prayer. We don't really believe it. We're not really fully into it, but we're like, God, save my generation. I think that's what I'm supposed to pray. God, bring revival. God, do this thing in my life. And we throw up these half-hearted prayers that we really don't fully believe. We just kind of know we're supposed to do them because I guess some guy told us we're supposed to from the pulpit. You know when all that changes? When you're in the inner room of prayer and the Lord begins to speak to you what he's going to do. He begins to speak to you his plans. You begin to get possessed by a word. I feel possessed by a word. I don't share this often, but we were in worship one time and I was off on the side. I was on my hands and my knees before the Lord. And it was this moment of kind of just wholehearted consecration and worship. And they were singing holy and just giving themselves a couple thousand people in this room. I was on my hands and knees before the Lord. And the Lord came to me and he said, um, he said, Bannon, if you'll ask me for a generation in America, I'll give you one. And And I just said, God, that's what I want. I want a generation awakened in America. He said, that's what I'll do for you. And I knew that he was calling me to see what was happening with a couple thousand young people in a room. Giving themselves wholeheartedly to Jesus and his cause in the earth. Standing before God, asking God to mark their lives. Not just for their teenage years, not just for their young adult years, but the rest of their life to be marked by God. To take what was happening in that room and see an entire generation in America impacted. I feel possessed by this. I can't get away from it. I can't shake it. This is what the Lord has spoken to me in the secret place. This is what He has told me in the inner room of prayer. I feel possessed by this. When I get into prayer, this is the thing that captures, this is the thing that possesses my life. This is why I'm here tonight. Do you want to know why I'm here tonight? Because I believe God has spoken to me that he is going to awaken a generation in America. I believe he has spoken to me that he is going to mark a generation with power. And we are going to see an awakening in America. I feel possessed by this word. I feel that I am a prisoner to it. And it was spoken to me in the secret place. That's why I don't care what anybody says about America, I don't care what anybody says about a generation, I know what he told me and I feel possessed by this thing. And when I get before him, I say, God, this is what you said. This is what you said. I'm not throwing up. bring rascal home prayers. We're coming before God and saying, God, you said you would pour out your spirit in a nation. You said you would save cities. You said you would awaken entire campuses. You said universities would come into the power of God. This is what you said. At 12, Jesus was possessed by being about the work of his father. This is not something you get when you're 25. At 12, Jesus felt possessed. He said, I've got to be about what his business is. I've got to be about what he spoke to me. This is the call. Will you separate yourself? Will you separate yourself? I'm going to tell you this tonight. I am calling you to give your life to this. Again, I I, I love excitement and I love passion. My issue is this. It's not about whether you start this. It's about whether you finish it. Listen, I was 17. I'm 38. 21 years ago, I was in a setting like this. I responded to a message I knelt down. I said, Lord, if I'm going to do this Christianity, I'm going to do it 100%. He marked my life. My life right now is still marked by what I said at 17. This was not a few-year thing. It's 21 years later. And I'm going to tell you what. In 21 more years, I will tell you the same story, that God marked my life at 17. I've given everything for this. But what's impressive, I am not impressed by people that start races. I'm impressed by people that finish races. I'm not, hey, listen. Anybody can get married. That's not the hard part. Staying married, finishing strong at the end of your life in marriage, that's the hard part. You know how many things I've started that I've never, that, you know how many things I've started that I didn't finish? Anything that has to do with fitness. The amount of gym memberships, bikes that I have bought, video games that I was going to work out on the Connect. Any, you know, anything to do with fitness. I'm super excited about My wife doesn't even believe me anymore. She's like, you're not going to do that. I'm like, woman, you need to have faith in me. I will finish this. And then two days later, I'm like, okay, I probably won't. <laughs> Listen, what I'm calling you to is to give yourself to a life given to the inner room. And I promise you, the most strategic thing you can do for your generation is give yourself to the inner room of prayer. You don't even, know how, you don't even have to know how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I just felt a fire in me. I read books and I heard sermons. But you want to know the best way to learn how to pray? pray. I'm telling you, the absolute best way to learn how to pray is to go into your room, shut the door, and say, Jesus, teach me to pray. That's what the disciples asked. The disciples saw Jesus praying, and they said, hey, will you teach us to do that? He will teach you how to pray. You get with him, and you say, Jesus, teach me to pray. It's not about a length of time. It's not about this or that. It's about getting with Jesus. You take your Bible, you take some worship music, you get in your room, and you say, Jesus, teach me to pray. I want to I give myself to the inner room of prayer. I want to separate myself for a generation. I believe, God, you're going to visit this nation. I believe you're going to pour out your spirit. I believe you're about to change the game. And I feel you calling me to separate myself. You're requiring me to separate myself to the inner room. Because in the inner room, you're going to meet with me. In the inner room, you're going to speak to me. In the inner room, you're going to anoint my life. And 21 years down the road, your life will be marked by that. I'm asking that you would give yourself. This is what I feel like the Lord's asking a generation right now. Would you give yourself to this? I believe the hour we live in right now requires this from us. It requires us to establish this life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes in this room. We don't have much room to move around if the worship team's here, they are. I'm convinced God's going to awaken a generation in America, young and old. And I'm here tonight because I'm convinced your life is the key component of that. I believe your life is what's going to be the catalyst for an awakening. I'm here to cheer you on. I'm here to call you to something deep. But this is about giving ourselves to the secret place. It is about the inner room. With your eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you because we don't have much room to respond in here and I'm gonna have you respond, physically respond. I ran forward to an altar and laid myself on some steps and God met me, He gripped my heart. I'm asking that God would do the same tonight for you. I'm asking that God would come and he'd possess your life with prayer. That he'd come and possess your heart and you'd find a passion inside of you. To respond, to be the one that raises their hand. When Jesus comes, that we don't make excuses. We don't look the other way. We don't avoid eye contact. We raise our hand and say, Jesus, I'll separate myself to the inner room. I'll give myself to the secret place so that we can see a nation in revival. If tonight your heart is this, you say, Ben, I don't even fully know what it is to pray. I don't even fully know what it looks like to pray, but I want to go on that journey. I want to go on that journey. I want to go with Jesus on the journey of intercession. I want to go with Jesus on the journey of prayer. And tonight I want to raise my hand and I want to respond and say, Jesus, I'll give myself. If that's you tonight, I want you to stand up right now and I want you to put both hands in the air stand up right now. Both hands are there. We lift our hands in this place as a response. We come and we lay ourselves on the altar with our hands raised. Say, Jesus, we're not even fully sure what it looks like to pray, but we know this. We hear you calling us. We've had the encounter a prophet that comes and says jehu i have a message for you i have an anointing for you but it is found when you separate yourself to the inner room we raise our hands in here tonight all ages and we say jesus we say yes we say yes to the call to pray. We say yes to the inner room of prayer. We say yes to the secret place lifestyle. Meet us in the secret place. Give us grace in the secret place. Teach us to pray. I want you to tell Jesus yes in this room. We say yes. We say yes. Teach us to pray, Jesus. Teach us to pray. For our generation, for the nations of the earth, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. For the souls that have yet to be brought into the kingdom, teach us to pray. For the broken and the hurting, for the orphans and the hungry, teach us to pray. For the cities that are in darkness. For the cities that are in despair. For the church that is hopeless. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Come and pour out your oil on our lives. Speak a word to us. Possess our lives. Those that change history are those possessed by a word. If you want to change the course of history, you must be possessed by a word. If you want to change a nation, you must be possessed by a word. We're here tonight, we present ourselves, I want you right now to lift up your own voice. Tell the Lord in your own words, respond right now with your own voice. I want you to respond to what you hear God calling you to. I want you to respond right now to what you hear Jesus saying, not to what's coming out of my mouth, what you feel alive in your spirit. I want you out loud right now to respond to Jesus in your own words. Out loud. I want to hear you respond to him. Out loud. that will separate themselves? Where's the generation that will separate themselves to the inner room of prayer? Come on, lift up your voice. Come before the Lord. Come before the Lord and we just say, God, we just separate ourselves. Lord, we say yes tonight. Lord, we just ask that you'd possess our lives like Frank Bartleman, like Nash and Seymour. Lord, we pray you'd come. Grip our hearts with prayer. In the midst, in the midst of distractions, in the midst of busyness, God, I pray we'd hear your voice calling us. We respond tonight. want to be a generation that raises our hand says God will separate ourselves to you I remember being a young man and wanting to pray feeling like an hour was impossible so I had a goal of 30 minutes and I felt I can't do 30 minutes 30 minutes not even possible so I broke it up in high school I did 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night get my Bible, I do 15 in the morning and 15 at night whatever it is whatever the Lord shows you we want to pray God I want you to begin to lift up your voice in this place right now and I want you to begin to intercede that God would awaken a generation in America come on I want you to lift up your voice God we ask that you'd come you'd awaken a generation in America God awaken our hearts in this room that we can awaken a generation. Awaken our hearts, God, that we can awaken a generation. Pour out your spirit all across this nation. Pour out your spirit on universities, on high schools and junior highs, in the inner cities, God. Pour out your spirit.